and welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library. And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people in our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're talking about stargazing. Our special guests are Jay Reynolds and Gail Franco. Jay is a research astronomer who you might have seen with Gail on Channel 3's In the Sky segments. He also teaches at Cleveland State University. Gail, along with Jay, is a member of the Cuyahoga Astronomical Association, which organizes local amateur astronomers. Welcome, Jay and Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. How did each of you get into astronomy? Well, ladies first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we were swimming out at Mentor Headlands. Um, I think it was back 2016, and the beach closed. And as we were walking to our car, we saw that the parking lot was full of telescopes. And so we walked over, and I'm like, what's going on here? And they said, well, we're a local astronomy club. And I thought, oh, I would love to look through that telescope, but I didn't want to ask because I didn't know if you were, if you should ask that. And then I found out later that astronomers love to share their telescopes. And so um, we saw double stars and dying stars and nebulas. And it was so fascinating that when we got home, we looked up um, our local astronomy club and joined and they've been in ever since. Right. right. Um, and also when she says we, she's not referring to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I met Gail actually through the same astronomy club. Myself, uh, I got into astronomy the same way all people my age got into astronomy because that was the time we were going to the moon. And so you had no choice but to look up. And so that uh, it's always been a, a passion, somewhat of a hobby of mine. But uh, but fortunately, being able to to do research in astronomy, be a part of uh, uh, three missions with NASA, and also pass on that information, uh, all the information and the experiences to students having uh, student research programs. It's been uh, it, it's been an amazing ride, and now now I get to have some fun with this one here again. <laughs> so, what is the most exciting thing either of you have seen in the sky? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I can say. Um, I love to look at Saturn. I love to look at Saturn and and it really looks like somebody put a sticker on the end of the telescope because it's so clear and bright and it looks exactly like a sticker and you can't believe that you're seeing it. And we always have fun when um, we see people seeing Saturn for the very first time to watch their, um, their reaction to it. And everybody is just amazed when they see it for the first time. And yeah. it never gets old. Oh no, no, it, it never does. It, it's uh, absolutely right. Um, fairly recently, a lot of people will come up to the telescope, oh, so what's in here? And I'll just say, yeah, well, why don't you just have a look? And then you'll hear people, oh, oh, oh. And, and usually every season that we do this, that we share our telescopes, someone will actually begin crying. Right. And yeah, it's because it's that emotional. It It's not pretty like the big pictures we see in museums and things like that, but this is your connection. You are seeing the light reflected from Saturn coming into your eyes. It makes it a special moment. 
And some people, I've actually had one guy, he, he just walked away, he couldn't speak because it was just so emotional. Uh, probably the other thing I think Gail will um, probably agree with me, the recent solar eclipse back in 2017, whoa, that was always great. Mm-hmm. Solar eclipse is a lot of fun and the wonderment of all the people, we had 10,000 people down at Edgewater, that was our events out there and we had a, a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, the, the eclipse was a big deal for libraries. We were a hub for passing out glasses to watch them. And I'm sure the next one coming up, we're the center for the eclipse, I think, our area. I know. Isn't that exciting? Actually, a good uh, rehearsal will be actually next year. Uh, there is a solar eclipse coming up <clears throat> on uh, Saturday, October 14, 2023, and that's a 46% coverage. Not bad, really. It's uh, The other one in 2017 was about, uh, I think it was 86%. So it's still, people will go out, they will want to see that regardless. And then, yes, 2024, the actual center part, uh, the center portion of the, uh, of the shadow, the eclipse pathway is um, uh, less than a mile from my house. I should run it out, you know. Wow, make yeah. dinner. Yeah, make dinner. That's right. <laughs> Actually, there's a winery right in the path of it. I told them about it. Like, yeah, we, we didn't know anything about it. I said, well, start making wine, call it eclipse, and I want a case of it. So, <laughs> so you said in 2017, you, you put on the event at Edgewater with 10,000 people. I'm assuming you're talking about the Cuyahoga Astronomical Association? Well, actually, I was the organizer of the event, and then I included uh, uh, Cuyahoga Astronomical Association, but then uh, we also had Cleveland State, and uh, Cleveland Metro Parks was a partner. We had a lot of partners there, and we had a lot of vendors out there as well. Um, uh, Unique things on display. We even had butterflies, a little house, a little shack, uh, screened-in thing that you could go inside and stand around with butterflies. Why butterflies? Why not? So tell us a little bit about the uh, Astronomical Association. Well, uh, CAA has been around since, uh, what year was it? 57, I think. A long, long yeah, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been around a while, not that long. I'm almost that old. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, CAA uh, is a very strong astronomy uh, community here in Northeastern Ohio, serving primarily the west side, but there's a lot of people on the east side as well. We also now have, thanks to Zoom, we have people who have left this area still maintain their membership with us. And so thanks to Zoom, they can still share in the meetings and discussions, things like that. But primarily our outreach is our primary goal through meetings. Yes, but also we have speakers at every meeting. And then also we have public telescope nights, six nights a year. And uh, this is part of Medina County Metro Parks where CAA also has an observatory there with three telescopes in there, but the members love to bring out their scopes too. We'll have anywhere from 20 to 150 people after that. So we'd love to have you. We just want to share our telescopes. So we have a new home now. Um, We meet at Baldwin-Wallace College, so we have a connection with them now. And we also started with um, the Cleveland Metro Parks out at Rocky River. Um, We give four presentations a year on a Saturday morning from 10 to 12. So the first one, and we've just started doing this, but the first one was uh, how to use binoculars. And the next one is going to be about 
um, telescopes, how to use your telescope. Right. So it's really neat. And so what we're going to do is um, they'll come in the morning. We'll talk about how to use your telescope. And then that night we're going to have a stargazing party. And if they have a telescope, they can bring it that night and we'll work with them setting it up and showing them how to use it. Also, we try to answer the question, not not only how to use your telescope, but how to select a telescope, if that's what you want. It can be a very daunting decision because everyone wants this and that, and uh, no, you don't want that, and so on and so forth. There's quite a bit of... um, quite a few variables involved a lot of decision making a lot of it and really do you really want to spend that kind of money on a telescope that you might use what three times a year if that why not try something a little easier and then you know revisit this next year Mm -hmm. so definitely so since you mentioned um binoculars and how to choose a telescope that's definitely a couple of our questions here can you give us a little bit more information about choosing a telescope, especially for beginners, and then using binoculars? Are you able to stargaze using binoculars? Oh, big time. Oh, absolutely. We we always recommend start off with binoculars because it's, it's surprising what you can see. No, you're not going to see tiny little galaxies. You're not going to see Pluto, I guarantee you. Even with the best telescope, you will not see Pluto. And uh, that's always a big request. Oh, can you show us Pluto? Mm, yeah, I'll just point anywhere. Yeah, Pluto's up there somewhere. But no, we can't show you that. But seriously, uh, with binoculars, the moon is incredible detail. Oh, yeah. yeah, it really is. And, and we can, you can see the Andromeda galaxy, another galaxy. But what we tell people is... Um, if you're going to stargaze with binoculars, to try to get a recliner chair and lay back so that you can rest your elbows down and then hold your binoculars up. And we teach people how to um, adjust their binoculars so they can see the best way. And you want to uh, have to allow your eyes to get used to the dark. And so that's why you may see a lot of red lights um, instead of white lights um, in an astronomy viewing area because the white lights will... Um, really affect your vision for quite a while. And so the red lights are really good to use. But yeah, you can see a lot with binoculars. Yeah, definitely. And uh, aside from uh, toy binoculars, almost any type of binoculars will work. I have a very, very small pair that I just keep around my neck and they're tiny. You would say those are worthless. Absolutely not. The moon Mm -hmm. in them looks excellent. But any binoculars is going to work, except, you know, plastic ones with the plastic lenses. Those don't work. And just as a precautionary thing, never point your binoculars or anything that magnifies the sun. Never point it at the sun unless unless someone has taught you the, the rights and wrong ways of doing that. So even Walmart has some nice binoculars. Absolutely. They have them. They have them kind of locked up back behind the counter, but they'll bring them out for you, and they have a good selection. Yes, they do. They really do. So I, um, this Christmas, this past Christmas, I was just hunting all over for my great nephews some binoculars and a, a starter telescope. Oh. oh my goodness! I didn't realize how popular those items are for little boys for Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's great! Yeah. How old is he? Um, so one is uh, seven and one is eight. Yeah, um, definitely do not buy them a telescope because guess what? That telescope is now your telescope. It's now uh, eight, uh, uh, Aunt Casey, 
will have to be with them at all times and show them how to use it, which means you need to know how to use it before you introduce it to the nephews. Now, don't do that. It, Maybe she bought it already. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did. I bought binoculars. I bought binoculars. Binoculars is <laughs> yeah, that's fine. One telescope, just one telescope, two pairs of binoculars. But thankfully, it's now the property of their mom and dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yep. So this is the thing with the telescope. I mean, you know, you might... You might get something in view and then like, you know, 30 seconds or a minute later, it's like moving out, out of view. Yep. So you have to like keep adjusting it unless you have. Right. A, a, a proper scope that uh, is mechanically tuned to move in concert uh-huh. with the rotation of the earth. And so that means you have to set it up correctly. And so many people want to buy these these computerized scopes that you can uh, tell it, oh, I want to see this and it'll go up. If it's set up right, it'll work. The problem is setting it up. Now it's more about computers than it is looking through a telescope. Now, some people like that, but they're also older and a little more patient. Seven-year-old boys want to see this stuff now. And I got news for you. When they look in there for the first time, they're very disappointed in what they're seeing because they're used to seeing books where it's magnificent. Well, you're never going to see magnificent in any telescope, not compared to Hubble. Hubble, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, we recommend telescopes really uh, for uh, boys and girls at, over the age of about 12 years old. They can usually handle it. My first telescope, I was 11, and I was able to handle it and make it work, but uh, I had no help. I was well, we, we have been using, or at least I have been told that they have been using the telescope and the binoculars to watch birds and other wildlife. <laughs> right. Why not? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're getting some use. Not maybe what I was hoping, but. <laughs> you're, you're a good aunt. Yeah. They're using that at least. So we're here in a city with a lot of lights and tall buildings right next to an even Bigger city, Cleveland, with bigger buildings and more lights. So can you stargaze if you live in the city? Do you got to go drive out to the country? What's the best conditions? Well, obviously, the best conditions is out in the country away from the city lights. But it's surprising what you can see, especially with a telescope, if you know where to point it. There are usually very bright lights up in the sky, or I should say um, items in the sky, like planets, the planet Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, very easily seen and identified. And in any telescope, even in downtown Cleveland, you can you can point out uh, about, I don't know, probably a dozen different items using a telescope down at Cleveland State, which is right in the heart of all the lights. I take out my students uh, mm-hmm. on an evening and let's go, go out and look. We'll go to the top of a parking garage, set up the telescope, and it's quite a bit that that we can see even downtown. But obviously, uh, country roads or or country parks is much better. But binoculars, there's things that you can see. Unfortunately, uh, this year, uh, the planets Venus, <coughs> Mars, uh, will not be part of our calendar lineup. Uh, for stargazing at our programs, uh, they're they're just out of sync. They're more morning planets, and then uh, the planets Saturn and Jupiter will not really be visible in the early evening hours until 
really late August, early September. So we're kind of devoid of the cool stuff to see. But still, the moon, you know, a pair of binoculars, can't beat that. You can spend a lot of time. And um, it's nice to be in an open area, like even, um, well, if you go to a metro park, they usually make you leave at sunset. But like, for example, for our club, we one of the benefits of being in the club is that um, you can call the metro park and ask if you can come out there. You can go out there in the evening um, and or at night and you can stargaze like in an open field. Because if you're in the city, sometimes a building is blocking something you might want to see. You know, everything isn't straight up, but um, we have Observatory Park. I don't know if you've heard about that. That's in Geauga County out at Montville. Observatory Park is pretty dark out there, and that's a really cool place to go. And then, of course, where we're at, Aletha House um, out west, that's pretty dark out there, too. Yeah. So do the parks have special events or how how would people find out about uh, these events that your club hosts? Uh, well, you can go to our um, uh, to the club website, Cuyahoga Astronomical Association. Just Google that, and we have an event calendar there. But then there's other astronomy clubs as well. Uh, for instance, down in the Akron area, there's probably some uh, listeners out there. They have an astronomy club, as well as Youngstown has uh, has one Youngstown Astronomy Club. And then uh, Summit County has a uh, a fairly young club. It's um, uh, it's Summit County Astronomy, and they have an observatory with uh, I believe it's nine telescopes in there. John Shulin is uh, the director out there, and uh, they they're open like year round. It's amazing. So you have to uh, again Google Summit County Astronomy, and that observing program will pop up definitely. Uh, also, Cleveland Metro Parks, you don't have to leave Cleveland Metro Parks until 11 o'clock. But so if you go to a dark area there, you can uh, see what's going on uh, in the sky. And uh, la- also some other places, City of Lakewood has um, not organized observing, but they're pretty observing friendly. About 11 o'clock is uh, the latest they uh, they allow you to stay there at Lakewood Park. But also um, you can go online to um, the Night Sky Network mm-hmm. and then you can type in what your zip code is and it will pull up um, like all a calendar and all these events that are going on in your area. So that's a great place to go. Night Sky Network. Yeah. 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 So, Jay, you mentioned a few things that we won't be able to see in the sky this fall. The planets don't line up. What are some of the best things we can expect to see in the fall and winter? And is the International Space Station one? Well, the International Space Station flies over Cleveland, believe it or not, uh, between five and six times a day. But in order for us to see it, it has to be aligned up with, uh, with the viewer. And also the sun has to be just the right angle. And so it can't be, you'll notice, you usually don't see the space station at one o'clock in the morning. It's usually just after sunset or just before sunrise, generally, that you can see it. But again, the alignments have to be just right. 
So this summer we'll see it's it's um, uh, one of the things we do on In the Sky and also with WKYC is we do provide a lot of information about when the space station can be seen overhead because those numbers change very quickly with no notice. And suddenly you'll go outside to look for the space station. It's not there because occasionally they have to fire their thrusters and boost to a different orbit because they want to avoid a collision with something that's in orbit with uh, uh, around the Earth. But my point is that um, we do have opportunities to see the space station this summer coming up. We'll make those uh, uh, available on In the Sky. But then also um, the big thing that comes to my mind is meteor season. What do you think? Right. I want to say one thing about oh, the space sure. station. So a lot of people don't know what it looks like when it goes over. And um, and they've probably seen it, but they didn't know that's what it was. Yeah. And so they might think it's an airplane, but an airplane like blinks. And the space station, you could almost see a square shape if you look at it, like a square shape. And it's just very right. consistent, consistently bright going across the sky. Yeah, it does not blink. It does not make sound. It does not change course. And it's the fastest thing moving across the sky. Mm -hmm. And it goes from horizon to horizon. Not our horizons here in Cleveland, because uh, we usually don't see it because of all of our trees until it's nearly above us. But if you could see it like uh, on a, a very flat area like Lake Erie, it will go horizon to horizon. It takes about seven minutes for that to take but place. But it's not always straight overhead either. No. Sometimes it might be close to the horizon. Sometimes it's overhead. So it's all different degrees. Yes. Each path. So Jay, you mentioned WKYC's Channel 3's in the sky. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what is that? Oh, In the Sky is a program about space science and a little bit about aviation. But uh, Gail and I talk about uh, not only what you can see in the sky, but how and when and where you might be able to go to see that. We also try to promote local astronomy clubs and their activities as well. They send in information and uh, so we'll broadcast that. But then uh, also in between, uh, in between our videos that we produce, uh, we also put up some news stories, usually more locally oriented. And so we have a very good following. And uh, thanks to Channel 3 with that. So it's called In the Sky. We just started our seventh year broadcasting. And they're just short segments, about a minute and 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And get your fill of space really quick. And <laughs> we don't get too technical. They can't take us for more than a minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> That's, so can we, can we find that information online as well? Absolutely. Just uh, just look for um, In the Sky uh, Cleveland or In the Sky WKYC, something like that. It'll take you right to our site, definitely. So maybe you guys should ask us this question. Are there any books that you would recommend for beginners or advanced stargazers? Boy, that's... Um, I don't know. I don't know either, honestly. We... Um, there's so many different books that you can start with. I I usually recommend buddy up with someone who kind of knows something. Just start by going out and looking up. And especially if you have binoculars, looking at the moon and look at the features. Most of astronomy is more about 
observing, noticing what's going on up there. And then there's resources online. Again, just as Gail pointed out, Night Sky Network, there's also a calendar, not just of events, but what you can see in the sky. I would start off with online resources to begin with. And there's so many websites, it's, it's nuts. It's hard to keep track of all of them. But I remember too, like, um, you know, every time I talk to someone that owns their own telescope, they are a wealth of information. They know so much and they'll, they love to talk about it and they'll um, spend a lot of time with you. And then like we said at our club and all the clubs, monthly meetings, I mean, we'll have speakers from NASA and, and uh, you know, JPL, I mean, all different things and just so fascinating, right. really fascinating. Actual researchers who are uh, right in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our organizations is uh, doing a meeting this Thursday on uh, uh, with our with a scientist from Purdue. So and then we get them who who. I don't think we've had any former astronauts in CAA. Um, they did in Akron. Yeah, Akron. Yeah, we went down and saw that. And then also um, uh, Cleveland Astronomical Society uh, recently had a, an astronaut involved there as well. So it's, uh, it, it's a rich community. We have a lot of astronomy, a lot of good history in the past, but a lot of people who just want to share their information and help promote science. That's the issue. Science in the public eye, keeping science right in the front here. And that's really what uh, In the Sky is about, but also that's what these organizations are about. You mentioned that uh, you got started into this because of when you were born and uh, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. And my granddaughter proudly announced when we were visiting the uh, Cleveland Natural History Museum this weekend that she knew that uh, Neil Armstrong was the first um, astronaut on the moon, along with Buzz Aldrin, and she was just shouting into the rafters. (laughs) Our friends will never forget it because it was their wedding day and like nobody was in the hall celebrating their wedding. They were all over by the television watching the moon landing. (laughs) So they'll never forget it. Yeah, I just thought it was so fascinating that she has a connection which is very similar to your connection, yeah. even though she certainly Funny. was not alive in 1969. Um, but she was so proud to share her her uh, initial science and astronomy information with us, <laughs> every one of us at the Natural History Museum. But um, for those who are new to the field, like my granddaughter, what is the most rewarding part of all of this? <laughs> well, I, I think it's like, and this is really weird. Like when I stand here and I look up in the summer sky and sometimes I see four of the planets lined up, I feel like they're like our sisters. You know what I mean? You feel like you're like more one with the universe. And it's just, it's, it's just so fascinating to see where we're going and the new telescopes that are coming out and the pictures they're sending back and, and hopefully looking for life on other planets. And it's just a whole new, you know, frontier. That's true. And with the James Webb telescope that was launched uh, at the end of last year, it's um, uh, they're getting things ready. It's all coming together very well. It, it's out in space a million miles away from the Earth, but there's a lot of alignments that have to be done in preparation for actually using it. 
as Gail pointed out about uh, finding life elsewhere, the the components of life, yes, we will definitely begin to see that. But even within our solar system, there are places where life could exist. Some moons around Jupiter and Saturn definitely could easily have uh, have life, microbial life down in inside of them where there's liquid oceans there. Warm liquid water, you know, salt water, absolutely. It's very, very possible. But the most rewarding aspect of uh, all of this, at least for me, is that uh, we can make a difference. We can inspire some people to to something that I never I never knew I could do that, or I never knew this, or just enhance their life a little bit. And uh, probably one of the biggest moments uh, in my astronomy career is um, uh, we had something called the transit of Venus in 2012. Again, at Edgewater, we had about 7,000 people out there. And uh, I made I made an announcement. I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be my last announcement here because within about five minutes, the sun's going to go down. So I invite you just, uh, we're going to turn up the music a little bit. I'm not going to say anything and just enjoy the last view. Right then, spontaneous, nothing was told to them. Suddenly, people quietly began to walk to the edge of the water. And they all looked, it was instinct. Instinct drove them to do this. And then when the sun went down, there was polite applause. And it just, it was a moment that everyone forgot their problems. There was a moment that they forgot, oh, I have allergies or this, or I gotta make, make my uh, visa bill. It was, it was just a moment of actual connection between people and what they were seeing in the sky. And they all shared it together. That's the greatest thing. I have one thing to say about beginners. Um, Sometimes you don't know what you're looking at in the sky. And so you can get a sky chart and it will show you where things are. Or there are apps on the phone that you can actually hold it up to the sky and it will tell you what you're looking at. It will tell you which planet, star, whatever that you're looking at. Yeah, I forgot about the apps. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Will the app tell you if you're not, if you think you're looking at a planet, but you're really not? (laughs) Right. Uh Uh-huh. It it. actually writes right next to it what it is. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is. Mm -hmm. And they work very well. And uh, a lot of them, uh, there's a small fee, but there's a couple of free ones out there. And they they work well. I have the free ones because I forget to use it as well. But yeah, but still, it's uh, mm-hmm. very cool. Is that really this uh, serious star? Yeah, yeah. Confirmed that whatever. Right. Or is that Venus or Jupiter? And then you hold it up. Oh, Venus. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jay and Gail, thank you very much for joining us. This is very fun. You made it fun because it's always great to hear from knowledgeable people, but also to hear the passion and enjoyment come through that you guys have for all of this. So is there anything else that you would like to add before we conclude about stargazing? No, not me. No, thanks, thanks for having us. I, I'm really. sure I'll think of something about eight <laughs> o'clock tonight. <laughs> so, He'll call me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what we should have said? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Never. Mind. So thank well, thank you. you so much for having thank us. Thank you. Don't forget, with all the different events that are coming up here, uh, Euclid Library, we're planning one. We want uh, we want to bring the telescopes out to Euclid. But yeah, we can't wait. We're looking forward to that. It was so great to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now, the news you cannot use. 
Reverend Aaron Waldron-Smith at Mark Twain Elementary School in Bettenford, Iowa has a dilemma. Someone has been dropping off rubber ducks at her school almost every day. No one knows where they came from and no one knows what to do with them. So Waldron Smith began decorating her library with them. According to TV station KCRG, the library has big sparkly ducks, tiny baby ducks, George Washington ducks, superhero ducks, Minecraft ducks, more than 200 in all. Now when students read a certain number of books, they get to take a picture with a duck. And Casey, speaking of animals in the library, here's a story about a real one that no one will believe. According to radio station WUWM in Wisconsin, a lion cub used to live at the downtown Milwaukee Public Library nearly 100 years ago. It seems that in 1928, library officials were part of a trip to the East African region of what is now Tanzania. Local residents brought to them a lion cub that had been rescued from a brush fire. The Milwaukee contingent bought the library cub for two shillings, the equivalent of $7.16 today. Sim, as the lion cub was named, came to the library in 1929 and was on display for a few days before it became too overwhelming for him. After that, Sim moved into a taxidermist studio on the library's fourth floor while spending the taxidermist's working hours in a lion house on the roof. Eventually, chewing on a bowling ball at the library led to needing dental work at the Washington Park Zoo nearby in Indiana. That's where Sim moved and spent the rest of his days until passing away in 1943. The rest of his living days, that is. After his death, Sim went back to the taxidermist studio and now stands on full display in the Milwaukee Public Museum's African Diorama. And that's the library news you cannot use. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. We hope you will tune in next time. You can learn more by going to our website, ukulibrary.org.